Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It is the 4th of August. When was the last time you were with someone who was genuinely impressed with themselves? Have you been there? I think we've all been there one time or another. I'm hoping um, in this moment we haven't been the person uh, who is now coming to mind for someone who's like, oh yeah, the last time I was with a person impressed with themselves... Yeah, I hope I'm not the person who comes to mind when anybody uh, answers this question. <clears throat> if I am, I uh, I, I will repent. Um, it's uh, it, being impressed with your with yourself, like being puffed up, being arrogant. The biblical word for it is like haughty. Um, maybe you don't know anybody like that. <clears throat> you know, maybe you don't know a hey, look at me and what I've done. Aren't I great? Uh, Maybe you don't know anybody like that. <clears throat> there are people, though, who suffer what I'll call intellectual arrogance. And they, they're they all puffed up, and they have the expectation that we will believe them as an authority on any given subject. Um, maybe, you, maybe you know people like that, or a person like that. Maybe you are a person like that, and now you're feeling repentant. <laughs> um, I, I confess that when I'm with a person who... I'll frame it this way, thinks more highly of themselves than they ought. I don't feel free to ask clarifying questions. I don't feel like drawn into the conversation. Um, I don't think of that person as a good teacher. They're not the person that I think of to call when I need help with something or I, I have a question. Even though they may be an expert in their field, um, the way that they communicate the information or expertise that they have diminishes other people, makes other people feel small or ignorant. Jesus never did that. Jesus had all authority. Jesus taught with authority, but he never he never did it in such a way that left anyone else feeling diminished. That's that is a godly characteristic that we would do well to develop. So um the way the Bible talks about this intellectual arrogance, they talk, it's called vain conceit in the Bible. It's also um, called haughty or even proud. It's this giving off of an air of superiority and treating other people as if you think you are actually better than them or smarter than them in some way. So our Growing Your Faith verse of the day addresses this issue. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So I thought about starting this conversation by saying, do you need and want healing for your body today and strength for your bones? Because don't we all need 
some healing for our bodies and strength for our bones? Do we think about the way we think about our, ourselves and our own wisdom and the way that we fear God and flee from evil as the formula, as the prescription for how we achieve healing for our body and strength for our bones? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think most of us, when we consider our bodies and the strength of our bones, I don't think that most of us say, oh, you know what? This, this is an issue of how I'm thinking about myself and being impressed with my own wisdom. I need to turn to the Lord, uh, turn away from evil, and, and, and fear the Lord. This will bring healing to my body and strength to my bones. But that's exactly what this passage of Scripture says. It's interesting to me the connection that's made between arrogance and physical health. The fear of the Lord is, we know, the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord includes repenting from or turning away from evil. That is probably the connecting point in terms of the healing of our body and the strength of our bones. There's also just this power that anxiety has over our physical health, and that's probably a part of this conversation as well. So uh, I find the way that this is phrased in Proverbs 16.6 to be clarifying. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So by turning, this is, the, this is a repentance part of this whole conversation, by turning to the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, we actually turn away from evil. In the very act of turning to God, that, that is what repentance is, turning to God. Uh, in, in the very submission to God's authority and God's sovereignty, as we humble ourselves and acknowledge that God is God and we are not, we also turn from evil. And in turning from evil... Um, Everything about our circumstance does improve, include, including including the healing of our body and the strength of our bones. So let's not be impressed today with our own wisdom, but instead let's fear the Lord, turn away from evil, and enjoy the healing of our body and the strength, strengthening of our bones. All right, this is a, this is a, a body conversation, and it is true for the body of Christ, writ large, in addition to being true for each of us um, as people inhabiting physical bodies today. Well, more than inhabiting them. I mean, we are. We are. Uh, you can't separate your physical body from, um, from who you are. So um, one in the same here. All right, let's, uh, let's, um, let's talk about reality next. Um, what is reality? Like if I were just to ask you to describe to me what is real, how would you, how would you answer that question? Would you tell me a story? Would you paint me a picture? What is reality? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, let's get real for a moment. Um, have you been to the zoo lately? Do you have a favorite zoo animal? Um, reason that you go to the zoo? Things you like to see at the zoo? Are you sure that the animals that you see at the zoo are actually animals? That that was the question. <laughs> oh, uh, that was the question raised by um, visitors to a zoo in eastern China where people thought, you know what? That is not a bear. That is not a bear. That is a person in a bear costume. That bear is standing there like a human being. That bear must not be a bear. That bear must be a person in in a bear costume. Um, <clears throat> It's a bear. Like, there's no question that it's a bear. 
it walks like a bear. It, yeah, it, <clears throat> um, there are some bears that stand up on their hind feet. And when they do, they, they appear to be bipeds instead of, you know, like a dog that doesn't stand very well on its hind feet for very long. Um, but it's still a bear. This is how far the delusion of our times have led us because there are people who, in an effort to be identified not as people but as animals, have gone so far as this uh, this one man who had a collie costume, uh, custom made for himself, so that he could transform himself into a dog, so that he can identify as a dog, be treated as a dog. Um, this is a Japanese man who has, he believes, transformed himself into the dog he believes himself to be. He is actualizing his dream of becoming a non-human animal. This story is uh, has actually been you know pretty widely covered this week because he has made his first like public appearance, like you know roaming around in a in a public park as a dog. You are not a dog. You are a person created in the image of God, beloved of God. You manifest um, the character and the nature of God in ways that. Dogs never can. I love dogs. I love my dogs. We're going we're gonna to talk about Sassy in the farm report today a little bit later. Um, but Jesus took on human flesh to manifest the reality of God incarnate. Your, your human matter matters, and it matters that you're human and not an animal. But this is the delusion and the confusion of the time in which we live. Jesus was not God in a man suit. He was fully God and fully man. He condescended to our reality. Real flesh, real blood, real life, real love, real suffering, real death, real atoning sacrifice. Um, so it's not that we lack the curiosity or even the imagination. I mean, there are some people who think that the bear that they saw in the zoo is a person in a bear suit. Um, And there is a person who imagines that he could be a dog and therefore he is living as a man in a dog suit. It's not that we lack the imagination or the curiosity. What we lack is a knowledge of the truth. Delusion is powerful. So, Let me encourage you today to look in the mirror and acknowledge who you are as an image bearer of the living God. God made you. God loves you. You bear his image. As male and female, we bear the image of the living God. And then let us tell that story to others. Let us tell them the story of the good news of Jesus Christ who took on human flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. Not only to be a living demonstration of, uh, of, the, of the principles and the reality of the kingdom of heaven, but to actually reveal to us who God is and what God is like. And therefore, to show us and invite us into who we can be, who we were created to be, who we're called to be, who he redeems us to be. 
more and more like him, transformed by one degree of glory into another, not into dogs, but into saints. Are you living into that reality today? Do you embrace it? The delusion of our days is, uh, is powerful. Let us be people who not only see clearly, but point others clearly to the truth of, uh, of, of reality. I mean, let's get real. Next up, uh, summer mission trips. Have you been on one? Have you ever put a family member on a plane for a mission trip and thought to yourself, you know what? There's the very real possibility they may not come back. Like, are we that aware of the hostility of the world in which we live and just how risky it is to do what Christ sends us to do as missionaries in this generation? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Logan Heyer. Logan Heyer is the principal of the Cornerstone Christian Church in Antioch, California. So I suppose that uh, Logan Heyer uh, has, is thinking about the upcoming school year. I suppose that as the principal, he is thinking about incoming students and classrooms and, you know, books and supplies, teacher pay, enrollment. So on July the 20th, Logan Heyer was a husband and a dad who put his wife and his daughter on an airplane with a 15-member team from the Cornerstone Christian Church in Antioch, California, on a summer mission trip. A summer mission trip to Niger. Niger, if you're just going to read it phonetically. And they're supposed to be back by now, but they are stuck in Niger after what I will call a coup. You're not going to hear the American government call it a coup because... Coup is, it has a legal de- designation in much the same way that genocide does for the U.S. government. And so when you use the word coup, um, uh, the U.S. government uh, actually then is required to do some things that it does not want to do. And so you're not going to hear the word coup used by the U.S. government in relationship to what has happened in Niger. But everyone else is using the word coup. So I'm going to use the word coup. There was a military coup in Niger. The government has been taken over the president has been uh, deposed. The airport is closed. And politicians are working feverishly to get Americans back home safely. Family members wait a- anxiously for updates, but they can do little more than wait. So here's what's going on. Um, on Thursday, the U.S. president, Joe Biden, called for the immediate release of Niger's democratically elected head of state, Amid what everyone else is calling a coup, but the government, the U.S. government is not, the Biden administration released a statement. It was the 63rd anniversary of Niger's independence from its former colonial uh, form of government. Um, The West African nation is now, quote, facing a grave challenge to its democracy. Yes, it's in the midst of a coup. Um, The United States continues to back the detained president. Um, But we are also in the process of figuring out how to 
extract our people. So the State Department announced uh, it was ordering non-emergency U.S. government personnel and their families to leave Niger. That happened earlier this week. There is a core group of staffers who will remain behind, and the facility will not close. This is a part of why they're not using the word coup. They want to keep a particular facility open. Well, why is that? Because in this part of the continent of Africa, Niger is where the United States um, actually has a significant presence. Um, Niger is significant for U.S. forces. We actually have some 1,100 troops currently stationed in Niger. Um, It is where we train um, people from across Africa to take on al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Um, There is spillover violence from a whole uh, geographic swath of countries. uh, Niger's neighbors, Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, uh, those those three countries have experienced five coups uh, since 2020. Um, and Nigeria, it's it's neighbor to the south, uh, and and Libya, they're just it, it's in a terrible neighborhood, just just violence all around. So um, while we celebrate that twelve student missionaries, a youth group of students from Texas, were able to evacuate Niger earlier this week, we pray now for the fifteen from California who are uh, known to be stuck. The airport is closed. There is no prospect for them getting out. And let me tell you about the context of where they are. I want you to think about a country of 26 million people, every single one of them um, is dark-skinned. These 15 Christians from California are all white, um, and they are now among 65,000 Christians in the country of Niger among 26 million people who are not. Of the 65,000 Christians in Niger, every single one of them is a convert to Christianity. The political system in Niger is legally aligned against Christians and their welfare. They're openly discriminated against and many of them experience persecution. Their lives are hard even on the best of days and in the best of times, and these are now quite arguably the worst of times. God sends us as lambs. I won't finish the statement because you know it full well. I invite you to join me in praying for these 15 Christians from Antioch, California, who are now in Niger, that God would use them in some kind of miraculous way, and that God would protect them divinely, and that God would um, magnify himself, and that God would bring peace to a people. You and I um, both know that where there um, is no knowledge of the gospel, um, there, there is no peace. And so among these 26 million 
people, there are 65,000 Christians. May they be points of light, and may they sow peace. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. Um, are there ways we get God right, and are there ways we get God wrong? And does it matter? Does it matter that we have a right and accurate view of God? How do you see God? And do you see God as God has revealed himself, or do you see God um, in ways that are obscured and, um, and marred by the world? We want to be able to approach God for who he really is. I mean, don't you want people to know you for who you really are? Not, not some obscured or blurred um, ideas about you that have been passed along by others, you know, made to look bad. So the enemy's always trying to make God look bad and make what God has said sound bad. And so it's possible that we get God wrong, that we have ideas about God, beliefs about God that are not accurate. And so we're going to talk with our friend Dan DeWitt about some ways that we get God wrong in order that, well, we might see him more clearly and love him more dearly and share with others um, who he really is. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How do you know if you're getting God right or getting God wrong? Our friend Dan DeWitt is here to talk with us about some ways we get God wrong. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Carmen. What's crack-a-lacking? The weather was weird this morning. Like, when I walked outside, it was like one of those, like, weird sky mornings. It's not, it's morning, but it's like weird red sky morning. So, if I knew how to read the signs of the weather, I could tell you something about what's crack-a-lacking today. But I don't really know other than it's weird. It's a weird weather day. How about you? Well, here in Ohio, it was, I was driving through, I'm on the road today, so I found a place with good a good signal and pulled over, but I was driving through a veil of fog. So mm. kind of weird here too. So that's a good segue into a conversation about seeing God clearly, seeking to see God clearly through the fog of the days in which we live. Um, first of all, why does it matter that we get God right? And then what are some ways that we get God wrong? Well, to quote a, a previous pastoral theologian, Tozer, who said that your thoughts about God are the most important thing about you. You mentioned reality earlier, and there's really no greater belief than what is ultimately real. Is the world exists by itself? Uh, if not, what? how did it come into being? If it was created, what is its creator like? And if indeed there is a God and there is a creator, then getting him right is the most important thing we could ever consider. So when you think about God— what comes to mind? Maybe that's a good, that's actually like a, that'd be like a good question for me to put in my pocket. Like when we, um, when we encounter people, we often say like, you know, well, where are you from and what do you do? I, I have started asking like, who are your people? Which then people then ask me like, what, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, you know, like, who are your people? Who do you hang with? Who do you live with? Like what's going on in your constellation of relationships? Um, because what you do doesn't actually tell me a whole lot anymore about who you are. Um, I think there was yeah. a time when the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, you know, like people spent, they were, their their careers like really 
were who they were in many, many ways. And that's so not true today for so many people. I mean, I'm just I'm thinking about, you know, the guy that made my coffee yesterday. Um, he is not a barista. He's not aspiring to be a barista. Like, that's the job he's currently doing because he has a music habit that he'd like to pay for. Yep. Yeah, right? And so um, uh, I don't think that asking people what they do is really particularly helpful. So I try to I try to have, like, some go-to questions um, so who are your people is one of my go-to questions. But I think this would be another one. This would be like when I say when I say God, like what actually comes to mind? What's your first thought when when I make a, a reference to God? Yeah, I think the questions like that are so helpful. You know, I tell my students when I teach like apologetics or evangelism that, you know, people, it's an honor to be asked what you believe and why you believe it. And so if you're if you're sincerely, sincerely curious about other people, I mean, they're they're a whole world into themselves, a worldview, and there's a reason they believe what they believe. And just to ask them some probing questions, to sincerely care, um, and that'll lead to the opportunity to share. But I think sometimes when we go out, we only want to share and we don't want to listen. People end up being a bit more turned off than they are interested in having a conversation because they realize there's not a conversation to be had. And a conversation about God is indeed, if God exists, right, which I believe he does, then that's the most important conversation we could have. I, I like what you said. It's an honor to ask another person um, what they think about God, or, you know, or what they think about anything, I guess. But, you know, for, for me, most supremely what they think about God. Um, can you think of a way that, that we could frame that question in, in conversation? I mean, do you just kind of say, like, I'm just curious, like, well, I don't know. How do you say it, Dan? I'm like, I'm trying to figure well, out how to how to work that into sort of an opening question. You know, I, I think it's hard to lead with that, right? Um, right. But what I found to be helpful is to say, you know, one of the things I really enjoy hearing about is how people came to hold their beliefs. And I, I would love to know, like, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about where the world came from? Um, I would love to hear your story. And and I think in the proper kind of lead up to that. Um, if someone's in, in, interested in having that kind of conversation, I just try to say, you know, I really like having these kind of talks. Like, what what do you believe? Tell me about that. And um, I I want to say the times I've I've done that, that, it's pretty rare that I've not had someone at some point ask me, what do you think about that, or what do you believe? And of course, then there's an opportunity to share. Um, but I think as Christians, we're much more comfortable with monologue and. Sometimes we're afraid of the word dialogue because we think that assumes some kind of compromise. I don't think it necessarily in any way involves compromise. I think that it just involves caring and listening. And um, if what we believe is true, there's no greater thing we could talk about, but how do we get to it, which is the point of your question, right? So, um, and I, when it comes to God, it's very, it always is interesting what people believe and why they believe it. And that's an opportunity for Christians to begin speaking truth into that, what could be a confused situation. So let's jump into um, some some things that people believe about God or think about God that are contrary to what God has revealed to be true about himself. So the way that you have framed this, um, and if you're listening right now and you want to find the resource that I'm now going to be drawing from, it's called Five Ways We Get God Wrong. You can find it posted at Theolatte. Dot com. I'll send you the direct link if you want to text me, 877-933-2484. Um, Dan, let's, um, let's work our way through this list. Yeah, so I'll, I'll mention the five categories and then 
start digging into them, and we'll see how far we can get. But the first is unexamined. The second is unfounded. The third is unbiblical, which would be the most clear of, of the five. The fourth is unapplied, and the final one is uncharitable. And I think those are all ways that we could be sketchy with our beliefs about God. And the very first, unexamined, um, I like to quote the atheist philosopher Daniel Dennett, um, which sometimes people are surprised to hear me quoting this atheist in the midst of a conversation about theology. But Daniel Dennett was pushing back against this kind of reductive um, atheism of some of his friends, and he, because they were denying the significance of philosophy, because it's not necessarily the kind of thing that you can measure, taste, touch, or feel. It's not the kind of thing that we experience through the senses. And so Daniel Dennett said, there's no such thing as philosophy-free science. Only, science, or only science whose philosophy has been smuggled on unexamined. And I think that's such a great point when it comes to beliefs about God, because many of us are carrying unexamined beliefs. That doesn't mean they're wrong. Your, your unexamined beliefs might be received for good reason for people you trust, but they'll become sketchy if you never think about them for yourself and if you never personalize them. So that's the first one I talk about, the need for people to actually think about why they believe what they believe. And I think that there are life stages that are, are more prone to people being prepared to have that conversation. But at some point, people have to personalize their faith. The second one would be unfounded. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean these are wrong beliefs about God, but these would be beliefs about God that are not clearly required by Scripture. And so you could have certain beliefs, say, about the age of the earth or certain beliefs about a certain um, salvation kind of uh, 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 systematic theology of making sense of God, what we call soteriology, that make the, the best sense of the biblical data but aren't explicitly clear in the text. And I think that those views can become sketchy when you become more dogmatic than Scripture is. So when you say something that Scripture doesn't clearly teach, it might be a helpful theory for you, but you should hold it with humility, and not, I don't want to say lightly, but that you should be open to people saying, well, here's another way the text makes sense to me. I'll mention one more and then um, see where you want to go with it, but unbiblical would just be clear beliefs about God that don't line up with the Bible. And usually when we think about um, views of God that are wrong, that's the first category we think of. But I think unexamined and unfounded beliefs can lead to sketchy views of God as well. Somewhere in here, there is like um, our experiences that lead us to believe things about God that are actually untrue. Do you think that falls into this unbiblical category? Yes. And so I think, you know, Dorothy Sayers once said something to the effect of, you know, there's no sense in complaining that the man measures God by the, the yardstick of his own experience, because we have no other yardstick. Um, mm. we, we, we don't know what it feels like to be God, because if we did, we would not be, you know, we, we share certain things. We can get into all these complicated theological systems. They're not always as complicated as we make them sound. But Dorothy Sayers' point was simply this. We, we're humans, and so we're always going to be trying to think of God analogously or by way of analogy. And so we can't get out of that box. Um, God made us human, as you mentioned earlier on the program, so that's a good thing. But what we have to do is make sure that we're not making our experience in the world and our perceived experience with God to be the authority. If God exists and if God has revealed himself, then surely what he has revealed about himself would frame the way we should think about him. And so if we're not careful, we'll let our experience 
override what God has said about himself. And then if we consult the Bible at all, it'll be simply to kind of retread the Bible to fit our preconceived notion. And that's a clear path to getting God wrong. And it's also a way that we all are going to struggle with, because we all have to make sense of our experience. You know, to use that psychological term, cognitive dissonance. None of us likes to believe one thing that seems so fundamentally contrary to our experience. And so what we try to do is somehow make our experience and what we believe fit together. And for the Christian, we lean into, even though there's mystery and things we don't understand, we lean into what God has said about himself. And I I can't help but quote C.S. Lewis, who said, Christians actually believe God told us how to talk about him. So I want to um, move to the fourth um, way we get God wrong, because I think that for many of us, certainly for me, this is, this is definitely the rubber meets the road one. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have an unexamined view of God. I don't have an unfounded uh, view of God. I don't have a particularly unbiblical view of God, except when it comes to this next point, because the Bible would indicate that what God has revealed should then be obeyed. Yeah. And this is the this is the unapplied way that we get God wrong. I live as if I don't know what God has said about himself and about me and about therefore the way I am called to live as his image bearer redeemed by his son. So can you talk about the disconnect between knowing what God has revealed about himself and me, the world and everything in it, and then the way that I actually choose to live? This is the unapplied way we get God wrong. Yeah, you know, I I think we all need a good, healthy dose of James in our life, the book of James from the New Testament, um, because there are many ways that our faith can be unapplied. And if we're being honest, we all have areas. You know, if if you're saying right now, I don't have an area, your area is pride and, you know, spiritual blindness, perhaps to some degree. Um, We all struggle applying what we believe. I remember hearing one pastor say, you need some more duology to go with your theology, and indeed, we all do. And so the beautiful picture of the Bible, of course, is that we can't measure up to God's commands, and so we need grace. But on the other hand, grace-infused obedience is really the picture of the life of the Christian. And so every day what we need is new mercies and new compassion um, to lean into God's faithfulness and then to work out of the fact that we're already accepted and beloved in Christ. And so I, you know, I love to quote someone else. I forget who first came up with this, but they said, You're, you are saved by good works, just not your own. And that's so true. We are saved by the works of Jesus, but he has saved us for good works. And so out of that position, we need to apply our beliefs. And if we're not careful over time, as my Sunday school teacher taught me as a kid, you know, the Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. At some point, we're going to want our beliefs to line up with the way we want to live. And I think that we're living in a day where we see a lot of people who are quite willing to do that. They're tired of the cognitive dissonance of saying, I believe this, but I'm living this way. And what becomes easier to do is to adopt, to amend their beliefs rather than amend their lifestyle. And that's a challenge all of us can relate to. And by the grace of God, we need to keep leaning into living out our theology. Let's, um, let's, Let's talk a little bit about being uncharitable as a specific example here of the way in which we get God wrong, because this is this is me knowing who God is and what God is like, and therefore how God has called me to live in terms of a specific way that I love one another. I was with somebody yesterday who said that they were they were on a shared mission experience I mean, globally, 
And, you know, and she was talking about um, the experience that they were having together. And she's like, you know, here, here's the reality. We, we were not Christian in the way we were treating one another you know, before a watching world. And so it didn't matter what we said or what we did. Because mm-hmm. how we were treating one another was a testimony against us. And I thought, wow, that is, first of all, a huge thing to be able to say. Um, but how true is that of, of the entire witness of the Christian church in the world? Like, you know, are we betraying the fact that we don't really know God because we're treating one another in an uncharitable way? Wow. And of course, that hits so home with the words of Jesus. They, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. It's the love Christians have and demonstrate. So I, I, I'm reminded of a quote that I committed to memory just by listening to the album over and over again from DC Talk from years ago, in which a chaplain says, um, the greatest single cause for atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I think when it comes to being uncharitable, even if you have the right doctrine, if you are presenting it not as the truth in love, as we're commanded to do, but merely as the cold truth, you're kind of, to give a metaphor, like a surgeon who walks into the operating room with a machete. I mean, yeah, it it can cut, and you're after the right thing, but you're going to do a whole lot of damage in the process. And so I think we would all have a a good reminder to just look at the way of Jesus. Jesus did confront people, um, but usually they were people who were misrepresenting God. He was the most stern with. With sinners, um, he was meek and mild. And so what we can't do and what we shouldn't do is deliver the kind of news that really deserves a personal contact with a megaphone. Imagine a doctor walking into the waiting room on a megaphone saying, you have cancer or giving it to you on a memo in an impersonal way. You know, the way that heavy truth is delivered matters. And if there is a God who's revealed himself in history and in Christ, there's no heavier truth than that. What an opportunity for us to go out and love and build relationships and serve and speak the truth. Yes, of course, but to speak it in love. So good. We're going to continue our conversation with Daniel DeWitt here in just a moment. I'm going to ask him, what's the relationship and the difference between this day and that day? And how does the knowledge of that day influence the way we live in this day? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with our friend Daniel DeWitt, you can uh, find what he's thinking about and working on and uh, books he has written at theolatte.com. So Dan, um, this question is provoked as we are, uh, as we are, 
preparing as a ministry for our fall fundraiser. And one of the questions that we are setting before ourselves is the question of this day and that day. So Martin Luther, 16th century, you know, pastor who we, we think of as, you know, the, the guy that ignited the Reformation. Um, he said, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. So what does he mean by this day and that day? And what's the relationship between the two? And how does the reality of that day influence how I live on this day? Well, of course, Christians can um, agree to disagree on details about Christ's return and exactly all that that will um, imply and all that will unfold as we believe from the Bible. But what historically Christians have agreed on is the visible, bodily, um, physical return of Jesus to um, reward the righteous, to judge the wicked, and to make all things new. And so that is the hope of the New Testament, that as Christ has risen and is in the presence of the Father, we too will arise, and we will, where He is, we will be with Him. And so that can feel so ethereal, and it can feel so um, elusive at times, but that's really the bedrock of our hope in this world. And so th- that's that day. <laughs> that day will come. There will be a day when Jesus cracks the eastern sky and there, there are no more commercials to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And there are no more coups. Mm. And there are no more funerals. Um, knowing that that day is coming can shape and should shape this day. And I think that's, as we talked about in our last segment, about beliefs that are unapplied. This is a great truth that we have the wonderful opportunity early on a Friday morning in August. Summer's almost over. We're planning for a new school year. Let's start living today in light of that day. Amen. Amen. Um, hey, um, happy summer and, and joyful uh, transition from uh, from summer to fall. Um, so Shirley uh, is driving in the fog this morning as well. And she said, I am focusing in uh, while driving in the fog to babysit a grandchild today. I've just decided... Um, that I'm going to focus on God. So that is her FOG acronym for this morning. Oh, that's good. That's have, you really ever played good. That, have you ever played that game where you're supposed to come up with like what the words are for an acronym? I, to be honest, I haven't. We've played some, a lot of card games because we travel a good bit, but we've never played that one. So, Yeah, so everybody like makes up so that you know, the, the acronym is on the card and only the person with the card knows what the, what the true meaning of the acronym is. And so um, let's say the acronym is FOG, and so you write Focus on God. You're probably not, you know, that's probably not the one that the game came up with. And so everybody an writes actual. down, yeah, everybody writes down, you know, on their piece of paper and turns them over and puts them in the middle, and the person uh, with the card writes the right one down and puts it in there as well. And then you go around, and everybody's yeah. supposed to, like, decide, like, which one do we actually think is right? Like, which one? It's just a provocative, it's a, it's a provocative conversation game. Um, and people come up with all kinds of stuff because sometimes the acronyms are, uh, yeah, they, it does seem like it's something really obvious. And then you're like, oh no, it was like fats, oils, and grease. (laughs) Well, the closest thing I have to that game, Carmen, is sometimes when I'm speaking, I'll almost always do Q and A at some point if I'm speaking for a retreat or a camp. And, um, sometimes I'll get asked what my middle name is. And so I will give them my initials, which are D-A-D dad and then nice. i just make the campers try and guess and they'll spend the whole weekend they never get it right so adrian nope 
Arnold? <laughs> nope. Augustus? <laughs> you will never, you will never okay. guess it, Carmen. I will have to tell you off air because if I if I reveal it here, then you Aloysius. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. All right, D A D. You know now 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 I'm just saying that now this is going to now be a portion of the conversation every time you're on. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Until I discover the name. All right, that is Daniel A. Dewitt. Add that to your notes. We will discover more about that later when we talk to him next. You can find. Um, resources related to what we talked about today and so much more at theolatte.com. Dan, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Carmen. Take care. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. Ain't nothing like All right. Is it possible that, uh, that Dan DeWitt has a, um, a song called Middle Name on an album called Companion on Spotify. Do you think that's a different Daniel DeWitt? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is what I have for you already in my Googling research in the seconds since the name game began. Okay, uh, the Farm Report uh, now here on this Friday, the Friday Farm Report. It's a sad report today. Our beloved dog, Sassy, um, is gone. And so uh, I have written her an ode this is an ode to a beloved Canardly. And she, we called her a Canardly because when people would ask us what kind of dog she is, we could say she's a Canardly and because we didn't know. And you can hardly tell what her parentage uh, might have been. So here you go. Oh, sassy canine love so true. We thank God for the gift of you. From farm to woods, your life was full and not a day with you was dull. With fur as soft as morning dew and eyes that sparkled each moment new, you bounded through life with joyful grace, a loyal friend in every place. Through years of change, you stood by my side, a faithful companion, my heart held wide. With you on my lap, troubles seemed to fade, an unwavering love, God's tender aid. Oh, sassy, you taught us lessons of love so pure, all that loyalty would endure. You saw us through moments both bright and dark, and our life you have left on your our life you have left an indelible mark. What a gift of God to have shared your life. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.